This morning we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 8. Um, we're just going to do four verses today, 22, 23, 24, and 25. And um, we're talking about Jesus in a boat with, some, with his disciples in a storm, which I thought was ironic, ironic for Father's Day because if I was going to pick a word to describe my relationship with my father growing up, I would probably pick the word stormy. Stormy, yeah. Um, it's funny that um, over the years, some websites have actually done these little contests. Like they'll say, their, like all their subscribers, they'll say, look, describe your father in one word. And, and don't, don't say it out loud, but if I asked you, like, describe your dad with one word, my guess is that we would have in here the same thing that they had on their websites, which was basically this. The one word was either a really good word or a really bad word. Like, nobody said, oh, if I was going to describe my dad in one word, it would be, eh. Nobody's putting that down, right? They're like, hero, zero, right? I mean, like, that's kind of the way it goes. Some people think, um, we usually think warmly of moms. Many of us have polar opposite reactions about dads, one way or the other. It's probably a huge generalization. I think it makes sense, though, because... When I think of dads, when I think of what we do as dads, we, we, we want to equip, we want to train, we want to prepare our children for the world. You ever had a really good teacher in school? You probably didn't like that teacher when you had that teacher, right? The hardest teacher I ever had was actually the best teacher I ever had because she demanded so much of us. Sometimes that's kind of how we think of our fathers. So if I asked you for one word to describe your dad, it would be one word, right? But if I asked you to give me one word to describe the relationship with your father, it might be a different word. My guess is that that word would change as you got older. The, the word that you had, like you might say, well, and nobody would say this out loud, right? When you're a teenager or a preteen, if you, if you were like, I can use one word to describe my relationship with my father. You would follow that question up with, am I going to get grounded? Like, no, no, you can pick any word you want to. And so the word might be something like mean, hard. But then as the relationship grows in your 20s, your 30s, and beyond, it's amazing how smart dads get, isn't it? It's amazing how much wiser they get. And so that same dad that you would have said was mean when you were a teen, now you might say wise, teacher, protector. I'm not going to go into a lot of details about it this morning. It's another story for another time. But I will say, let me see if I can sum up the relationship I had with my dad growing up with the word horrible. It was not good. It was stormy, probably at best. And yet when I became an adult, it's amazing how much wiser my dad got. A lot of healing, right? The grace of God. But for sure, the older I got, the more wise my father became. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So uh, this morning, it's, it's Father's Day. Your relationship with your dad, for whatever reason, could be the biggest storm that you are, have ever faced or ever will face. It's possible that just the fact that you're here this morning and you're thinking about your dad and you might have had a great relationship with your father, but now your father's no longer with you, whether it's physical or, or, or mentally or, or emotionally, 
And that makes it stormy. You, you could be a father here this morning missing a child. And that's a storm. All of us have, all of us will face storms. And so this morning we're in Luke chapter 8. I want to read these four verses to you. And then all I really want to do is just kind of give you these five quick points. These quick lessons that we learn. Let me read it to you. Luke chapter 8 verses 22 through 25 says this. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Hello from the other side, right? Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, he, Jesus, fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Let me just, um, if you've not been here with us as we've gone through Luke, let me just tell you where we are. The first part of chapter 8, he's told these parables, right? We've been talking about this. He's talking about soil. He's talking about seed. He's talked about lamps, lights, all these things. He's talking about hearing and receiving and what we do with the Word, right? Um, you ever been in a classroom where you learned a lot of theory? Yeah, teachers, you're all, teachers are big on theory, right? So if you learn a bunch of theory, you walk out of that class and you're like, I know it all. And then you have to live it, right? And you try to, have you ever been in a situation where you try, tests are good for this, you try to remember the theory that you were supposed to have learned, and you're like, I don't remember it anymore. I don't remember what to do anymore. And this is exactly where the disciples are. The first half of chapter 8, Jesus talks about theory. He's like, here's what you need to know. And then the last part of chapter 8, over the next couple of weeks, we'll see four situations that Jesus uses, real-life situations, to kind of see if the disciples didn't just learn theory, but also learned how to live it. I love the way a man named Warren Wearsby puts it. He said this, faith must be tested before it can be trusted. And so Jesus uses these circumstances, and today it starts in a boat. He uses these situations to kind of test them and see, like, okay, I taught you about the Word, and I taught you about faith. Now let's see if you got it. And so here we are in a boat, Jesus and his disciples, and verse 25 reveals, unfortunately, that they failed this first test. Jesus said, where is your faith? So before we like boo the disciples, can we just be honest and admit if we were sitting in the boat, we would have failed it too, right? Thankfully, uh, we can learn secondhand. It's so much better to learn um, Less than secondhand than firsthand, right? If you were, a, how many of you um, had an older sibling? Raise your hand. Wasn't it great when you learned from their mistakes? Wasn't that fantastic? They got grounded and you were like, well, I ain't going to do that, right? That's good stuff. So we get to learn secondhand from disciples. They failed the test, but we can learn some lessons so that we won't fail it. So here we are, five lessons. I'm sure there's more, but here's the five that I came up with. Um, we will not talk a ton about each one. I'm just going to say them to you, kind of highlight them, and then we'll move on, okay? Here's number one. Don't freak when Jesus sleeps. Don't freak when Jesus sleeps. So let's be really honest. They had a reason to freak out. The disciples had a reason to freak out. They weren't worried. They weren't a little stressed. They weren't weighing the pros and cons of potential outcomes. They were freaking out, and here's why. Because storms were serious. 
the NIV uses the word squall. And that's appropriate because it would, they would come up out of nowhere. Wendy and I took a, a, a team of youth down to Guatemala one time. And, and as part of the mission trip, we got to get in a boat. And we were, dry, we were going from one side of the lake to the other side of the lake so we could go up a mountain. And we could see the, the, the people in that village. So what you got to get this picture. We're in this huge lake and we're surrounded by mountains. Come to find out we were in the crater of a dormant volcano. Okay, and that's exactly what it was like where the disciples were. And as we're going across the lake, it got rougher and rougher. And we have like kids like putting their heads over the side and puking into the lake. It was fantastic. (laughs) And all of a sudden, we heard the weirdest sound. We heard the driver of the boat just start laughing uncontrollably. He couldn't stop laughing. I was like, is this dude a youth pastor in Guatemala? He's laughing at my kids for throwing up because I was laughing at my kids for throwing up. And I asked the missionary, why is he laughing? And he said, oh, he always laughs when he gets scared. Oh, <laughs> now I'm scared, right? Hey, this dude who knows what he's doing is now freaking out. And it, was, it came out of nowhere. And then it, it was gone like that too. That's what happened to the disciples. It wasn't like a little bitty like rain coming down and, you know, some, I'm getting wet, I'm getting wet. No, this was a squall. This was windy. It was crazy. They had reason to panic. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have panicked. What I'm saying is Jesus was asleep. Jesus was asleep and the disciples woke him up to tell him that they were in trouble. Jesus was asleep. They didn't wake him up gently. It wasn't like, you know, your mom waking you up, right? It's like, come on, honey. Time to rise and shine. This was like, Dad, dude, get up. Mow the grass. We're going to drown. Get up. We're we're sinking. Jesus, look around. Like, Jesus, I'm. What's going on, guys? I'm just napping here. Don't freak. When Jesus sleeps, they miss the obvious. If Jesus is sleeping, I think we're going to be okay. I mean, don't freak when Jesus sleeps. They thought he was asleep at the wheel, but he was asleep because he knew that his father was at the wheel. Let me say that again. They freaked because they thought he was asleep at the wheel, but he was asleep because he knew his father was at the wheel. Listen to this. If you're in a storm right now, just jot down Psalm 89, 8 and 9. Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9. This is, these are your verses. Jesus knew this truth. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. How could Jesus sleep in a storm? Because that's his dad. Because he knew his father was in control. Don't freak when Jesus sleeps. Here's the second thing that we learn. Don't let an occurrence make you doubt the outcome. I want to hit this one hard. Don't let the occurrence, don't let an occurrence make you doubt the outcome. We, the, 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 the disciples missed the most obvious part of this story. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Jesus talking to his disciples, and here's what he said. Let's, everybody say let's. Let's go over to the other side of the lake. 
Wiersbe said faith must be tested before it can be trusted. This is where we find out how much they really believed about receiving the word, right? So it's one thing when Jesus is on a mountain and he's talking about soil and, I'm, and the, it's the word of God. And when I say it, you're going to receive it. And it's either going to be good soil or thorny soil or rocky soil or hard soil. And the disciples are like, yeah, yeah, we get it. We're the good soil. But then Jesus said his word to them. And his word was, let's go to the other side. His word was not, let's go halfway and die. His word was, let's go to the other side. And how quickly they thought they had good soil and they freaked out because they forgot what Jesus had said. The outcome was secure. He said, let's go to the other side, meaning we're going to the other side. No matter what we face between here and there, we're going there. Listen, I'm telling you, don't let an occurrence make you doubt the outcome. What God promised you that he would do, he will do. No matter what's happening right now, if he said, let's go there, you're going to go there. Don't ever let an occurrence make you doubt the outcome. I mean, at some point, one of the disciples could have said, don't bother Jesus. Don't wake him up. I know we're freaking out, but he said we were going to go there. And so somehow we're going to get there. But no one did. What do we know about God's word? Isaiah 55, 11, that it accomplishes what he sends it to do. And so if Jesus said they were crossing the lake, they were good as long as they were with Jesus. And that's point number three. Here's the third lesson. It's more important that Jesus is in the boat than it is that you're in a storm. It's more important that Jesus is in the boat than it is that you're in a storm. If you ask people, and we won't go around the room and do this, but if you ask people, what does it feel like to lose a father? No matter how you lost a father, maybe, you, maybe he's, he's passed away. Maybe he left. No matter how you lost your father, if you ask people, how does it feel to lose your father? You'll hear things like this. I feel alone. I feel abandoned. I was talking to a grown man one time who believes in Jesus, a grown man. And his father had just passed away. And he used this word. It's an interesting word. He said, I feel uncovered. Think about that. I feel I'm a grown man. And his father had passed away. And he said it just suddenly dawned on him that he was the patriarch of the family. You ever have an oh snap moment? That would be it, right? Oh, it's all on me. He just suddenly realized he was uncovered. Like he had no father to go to at that point. Man, some of you are there. Some of you are there. It's so easy to feel abandoned. So the real promise is not that we won't face storms or hard times, but that we won't face them alone. Hebrews 13, 5. This is God speaking, right? He said this, I promise you I would never leave you and I would never forsake you. He never leaves his children alone. That point is so powerful. That's our big idea this, this week. Don't let your problems overshadow God's presence. Don't let your problems overshadow God's presence. And I want you to see that's what happened with the disciples, right? So they're, they're in a boat, and they're in a boat with who? Jesus. You can say it with confidence. They're in a boat with who? Jesus. Jesus. They're in a boat with Jesus, right? 
So like the things that we pray for all the time, oh God, if I could just see you, if I could just touch you, if I could just know that you're here, they knew he was there because they could look right there and go, oh, there's Jesus, he's sleeping. They're in a boat with Jesus and then they encounter a problem and it's a big problem, right? It's a squall, it's a big deal. These are seasoned fishermen in the boat and they're freaking out. So it's not just like a little, it's a big storm. But they let their problem overshadow his presence. They forgot that it's more important that Jesus is in the boat than it is that they're in a storm. They let the obstacle make them doubt the outcome. And it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to let your problem overshadow his presence. I remember as a teenager and a young man complaining about my father. Not that that ever, ever happens with anybody here in the room. And I was complaining about my dad. He'd done something you know, just to make me mad. And as I'm talking to a friend about that, the friend's response to me was, I wish I had a dad. And then that'll make you want to fall like in a hole and dig and just cover yourself. Like, he didn't have a father that was present in his life. And see how like, even at that, I let my problem with my father overshadow the fact that I had a father. Listen, don't ever let your problems overshadow God's presence never let your problems overshadow his presence having our father's presence is powerful even in this situation it led to Jesus speaking to the storm and everything calmed immediately that's huge I was reading some commentaries about like squalls in New Testament times and they said you know they would come out of nowhere but they never died like that like the wind might stop, but then you could look at the waves and still see some choppy waves. And what does it say happened? The storm subsided and all was calm. It happened immediately. Jesus rebukes the wind and rebukes the waves and suddenly it's like glass. And his presence is powerful. The Father's presence does that in us as well. He calms us. That's even more important than what he does to the storms around us. You'll see this played out in Psalm 73. You can just jot that down. You ever struggle in life? You ever have bad days? Psalm 73, a great psalm for you to read. The writer is struggling with the unfairness of life. He's struggling with hard times. He's struggling with storms. He's struggling with seeing people who are wicked succeed and people who are righteous not and if something happens, something happens and changes everything, and it's in verse 17. He said, I tried to understand all this, and I couldn't, I'm paraphrasing, until I entered the sanctuary of God. There's something about the presence of a father, the presence of Father God. There's something about his presence that suddenly it doesn't fix everything, but it explains everything. We're like, oh, that's right. I've got a dad. I might still be in a storm, but I've got a dad. And I'm not going to let my problems overshadow his presence. Here's the fourth one. Two more. Doubts can get in you even though you get in the boat. Um, when I was growing up, I, again, I grew up in church, and so I heard, I heard tons of sermons. I've heard the Bible preached, all that kind of stuff. I can't, I remember the first time that I, I started asking myself this question, what if it's not real? What if I, what if like there is no Jesus? What if there is no God? 
What if everything my parents have told me is not true? And I, like, who do you say that to? Sometimes we think this, if we just love Jesus enough, we'll never doubt again. And I want you to get this. It's, it's going to happen. You're going to have doubts. Doubts are going to be in you even though you get in the boat. I, I would have to say, at this point in Luke chapter 8, the disciples are pretty convinced that Jesus is more than a typical guy. The whole point of the book of Luke was so that Theophilus would understand, is this a true story, all the things we've heard about Jesus? And I would say to this point, the disciples are all in on the fact that Jesus is probably the Messiah. Pretty convinced. Enough to leave their families and follow him. They're pretty sure there's something different about Jesus than anybody they've ever met before. And yet, they're in a boat with Jesus. And when it's all said and done, their response is, who is this? So I'm telling you, there's going to be moments in your life, no matter how all in you are, that you're going to kind of go, wait a second. I think I might have bitten off more than I can chew here. Like, I know he's not just a guy, but he just said, stop, and everything stopped. Who is this? And in those moments, in the times that you have doubts, in the times that you have disagreements, I want you to remember Philippians 3.16. Great verse where Paul's talking about disagreements and doubts and I don't understand and this and that. And he just says this, at the end of the day, only let us live up to what we've already attained. It's like Paul kind of going, whoa, 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 come back. Let's talk for a second. What do you know? What do you know? Don't tell me what you don't know. Don't focus on what you don't know. Just tell me, what do you know? Well, I, I know I got in the boat. I know that Jesus has done some pretty crazy stuff up till now. He teaches like nobody I've ever known before. I think, I think there's something different. And Paul's like, Follow that. Live up to what you've already attained. And when, when you have doubts, and you will have doubts, then live up to what you already know. In other words, you got in the boat because you believed in Jesus as the Messiah, but that doesn't mean that your belief won't be tested, and it doesn't mean it won't be made stronger by storms. And here's the last, the last lesson. Storms remind us that we aren't God. I, I know that if I called all of you up one at a time and asked you in front of everybody, are you God, you would all say no. But we live from time to time as if we are. It's a good reminder for us. Storms remind us that we aren't God, especially dads. And I'm talking as a dad. You might not be like me, but I'm going to tell you. Sometimes I feel as a father like I need to have an answer for all of my family's issues. And storms remind me that I'm not God. That I can't have all the answers. It's in the storms that we find ourselves filled with the, uh, the awesome awareness of who God is. The disciples, in fear and amazement, they said, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. I love, um, the, I love the Old Testament book of Job. I love the way that it ends. Little in fact about my, my life. When I first got saved, most people read John. I read Job. 
I don't know, it's weird. It's like, I'll just read Job. It's an amazing book. An amazing book. And you know, you know the story. Job's a righteous man. He's the best guy in town. If anybody's going to point to a model of a church member, a Christian, a follower of God, they would have pointed to Job. And he lost everything except his life. He has a wife who tells him, just curse God and die. That's such an encouragement. Right? He was at least smart enough to say to his wife, will we receive good from God and not trouble also? And he goes to, and then he has these three friends who aren't really. They basically say to him the same thing that his wife said. And we get to the end of the story. And Job who has been talking to God, saying things like, I just wish I understood. Can you relate to that? Finally, hears God speak. And this is what happens in Job 40. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Let me just paraphrase that. That was Job saying, oh, why did I open my mouth? And then here's our verse, 6 and 7. Then the Lord spoke to Job from where? Out of the storm. He spoke to Job out of the storm. He didn't get Job out of the storm and have a conversation. This is Jesus in a boat with his disciples. They're in the storm. This is God talking to Job out of the storm. You know, those storms that we all run away from. We were watching last night, watching a documentary about uh, the tornado that hit in Texas and hit an elementary school. And it was sad. and It was awful. Like, we see storms as such a horrible thing, and they can be. But God speaks through storms. And here's what he says. (laughs) Love this. Oh, God, he's awesome. He said to Job, brace yourself like a man. Because I'm fixing to speak. Brace yourself like a man. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad, look at me. Brace yourself like a man. Brace yourself like a man because God's going to speak to you through a storm. And then he does. Chapter 40, chapter 41, all the way up through chapter 42, God speaks to Job. And he says things like, were you there when? Were you there when? What about this time? What about when I was doing this? Were you around that time? And at the end of it all, what did Job learn? Because we need to learn from storms. And what did Job learn? Chapter 42, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Do not let an occurrence make you doubt the outcome. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours will be thwarted. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Guess where you're going to go? The other side. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. 
You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. And this is the end of the whole thing for Job. He says this in verses 5 and 6. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. There, I had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. So what did Job learn? He learned this. We don't know it all, and that's okay as long as we know the one who knows it all. So here's how we want to land this morning. Let me talk to dads. Dads, listen, I'm one of us, right? We have to brace ourselves like men. Because it takes a real man, a real dad to admit that he is not the final authority. And I know what it's like to be in the home and have your kids, like, not do what you ask them to do. And I got good kids. But sometimes you're just like, I'm bigger than you. I'm bigger than you. Do it. Sometimes we want to be the final authority. But you know what we learn in a storm? That we're not. That we're not the final authority. And it takes a real man to admit it. So dads, brace yourself like a man and admit that you are not the final authority. Jesus is. And what the disciples learned in this storm, we need to learn. As long as we're with Jesus, we will weather any storm we face. Children. Children. Let me talk to you. Young and old. Living with or without your fathers. If Father's Day is stormy for you, don't let your problems overshadow his presence. You have a father. And he's a good, good father. And he is with you. And that's far more important than any storm you face.